Hey folks, it's Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you are listening to a new episode of Successfully Funded. Here we go. Let's turn it up. All right, crowdfunders, how is everybody doing out there in that magical place of crowdfunding? You know, that place you go when you've got this brilliant idea uh, in the shower and you need to raise money. That's where you go. You go to the land of crowdfunding, right? That's what you do. So with that said, I am your host, Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel. I am the CEO of Woodshed Agency, and we specialize in helping products launch using crowdfunding, whether that's reward-based, equity-based, or if you just want to you know, do e-commerce. We can help you out with that as well. So, but on these podcasts, what we like to do is we like to talk to project creators, typically either while they're in the middle of a campaign or, you know, if a campaign is, has just ended, but this episode is a little bit different. Today, we're going to be talking to Joshua Ledgard of the, of the tool Kickoff Labs, and we're going to talk about tools that you can use and how to benefit from them in terms of using them for crowdfunding or product launches. So if you're not familiar with Kickoff Labs, I, I'm going to tell you right now, go, you know, go, to your, go to your Google and type in Kickoff Labs, and you can build landing pages, giveaways, uh, referral marketing. I mean, you can build a whole sweepstakes, product launch, all kinds of stuff. People can earn points um, for participating. And again, the tool is, is really easy to use. So if you're somebody that's thinking about doing a campaign, strongly, strongly recommend uh, checking out Kickoff Labs. But we're going to get into that conversation um, uh, in just a little bit here, we're going we're, we're gonna to talk to Joshua in just a moment. He, and he's, he's the creator of it. And we got into a lot around digital marketing and trends and, you know, how he, how he built this really, really amazing company. So that, like I said, that interview is coming up in just a little bit. Well, we're on quarantine day. I don't even know anymore. Um, we're, we're, we're all locked in, you know, still, um, you know, just got to finish up some Easter. We had Easter a couple days ago. Um, and I'm going to be honest with everybody. I broke the rules. I did it. Um, I went and saw my mom. Um, so we obviously washed our hands immensely, took off our shoes. You know, my mom has been, my mom's feeling good. We're all, none of us are sick. Um, so we, we played the odds game and I know, you know, you guys can probably hear this and judge me and go, how dare I? Um, you know, we just, we, we made that decision, right? Um, and it was kind of a tough one. I'm not going to lie, but I'm, I'm glad we did it. Um, cause while we were there, I learned something about my mom. You know, I learned that this was her first Easter in 51 years without my dad, uh, not married, but I didn't realize how, you know, they spent a lot of time together even before again, small community type stuff. Um, but I, you know, I, I got the sense that it was, it was, uh, good for my mom that we were around. And I understand that, you know, all this could be a mute point if she dies of the coronavirus. I get that. Um, you know, but again, that's one of those things where, you know, she hasn't been around anybody. She hasn't left in four weeks. We haven't left anywhere. We're all feeling good. Um, and I, again, I read all the same stuff, but we made that choice. So I will, you know, if you want to send the hate mail or the hate text to me, feel free, Jeff at woodshed.agency. Uh, you can, um, you know, but it was a decision we made, you know, um, you know, we're, we're, we're rolling with it. I think the other thing that, that, um, was kind of a sombering moment too in, in this whole Easter is we learned that one of my grandma's friends passed away. 
Um, and, and it was actually somebody I knew too. Um, the, the Wurtenbergers, um, out of, out of, and, and it was just really, really, really nice people. I remember growing up, um, them coming around, they were friends of my, my grandpa and my grandma. Um, and you know, so they had to have a funeral of, you stood at the end of your driveway and they drove by and my mom did that. I didn't get a chance to go down cause it was Monday. Uh, today's Tuesday when I'm recording this. Um, but that was another sombering thing. My mom was, you know, it was one of those things where we're, we're kind of blessed that my dad went when he did, because in terms of closure, I don't think, um, uh, standing at the end of your driveway when a car goes by, um, or a hearse goes by, uh, really does, really does the, the trick. So that was, you know, my mom was, I think, pretty impacted on that. Just again, um, we get how real this is. Um, I know this will be, my mom's had two or three people who have gotten sick. One that has passed away in Monroe County. Um, again, they, it wasn't categorized, uh, as the coronavirus, but you know, my gut tells me that that's the politics at work as to how you categorize some of this stuff. But, um, so yeah, so that, you know, ups and downs of Easter, um, you know, luckily we had the old app house party to, uh, to see, see my sister and, and Kate and her, her wife and, and stuff. So, um, so it was good. Another positive thing is, you know, now that though, you know, I mentioned, you know, I saw, I've, I've seen a therapist for a while now. My wife and I have seen the same one. We do couples counseling. We're, we're pretty open about it, right? It's, you know, I think it's a good thing. And it's a, and the reason we choose to be open about it is because I think more and more people, um, should explore it because I know for myself it, it's 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 been great. So we've been seeing the same person um, for almost three and a half years now. So we have a really good relationship with it. But unfortunately, she, um, our therapist moved um, to Lansing, and we were kind of stuck without an alternative. Um, but luckily, now that the whole world is online, um, we I uh, you know did some emailing and got an appointment and I'm going to start seeing her again, even though we're going to do it digitally on, you know, on the old internet, which is awesome. I think that's a benefit because truthfully, Aaron, Aaron and I, my, my wife and I, we've been a little lost kind of without that sort of third voice um, or that maybe that voice of reason between both of us, you know? Um, so I'm excited to start putting that back into the routine. Uh, my appointments next Wednesday. I'll let you guys all know how it goes on the podcast. Um, but the other thing that I did um, is, I don't know if any of you out there are familiar um, with this sort of personality test thing. And I'm not talking about a BuzzFeed thing. I'm talking about an Annette, it's called Enneagram, E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. It's the Enneagram Institute. Uh, Riso Hudson Enneagram Type Indicator, right? So what it does is it basically, there's nine personality types. And it tells you what you are based on you answering these questions for about 30 minutes or so. Um, this has been eye-opening. Um, I have never experienced anything quite like this in my life, kind of in, in this sort of self-exploration of myself and um, trying to dive into what, what makes uh, me, me, and what makes me go around, what makes me tick, what makes me all these things. So I took this test. My wife took the test as well. Uh, my sister has taken it. Her wife has taken it. We've all been taking it just to kind of, kind of put a truthfully a label on me. Um, and you know, what I've learned uh, by taking this has been pretty monumental. It's shaping a lot of stuff. And, and this is early. I took the Sunday night after Easter, so it's still early in my like exploring a lot because it's it's really 
really in depth and, I, and it's hard to explain it without you kind of Googling it. If you want a link for it, shoot me an email, Jeff at Woodshed.agency. I'll, I'll, I'll obviously send you guys out a link. But at the end of it, I turned out to having basically, this seems like split personalities. I have two different types that are tied, which is, uh, it seems like a little rare. And then I have a third type with a, that's only like three points behind and it rates it, I think out of like a hundred. Um, so like my, I'm a type seven, which would be considered the enthusiast that got a score of 22. I'm also a type two called the helper at 22. And I'm also type eight called the challenger with a score of 18. So those are, those are my personalities. Um, and I read these to Aaron and of course she laughed hysterically because it's absolutely spot on. Um, you know, and, and I've taken a lot of this sort of stuff. I've, I've always been kind of fascinated with, with this sort of dive into personalities and whatnot. Um, but I've never had anything be so poignant um, that it's a little bit scary. Let me, let me read a couple things here. So let's start with, I'll just go with the seven one. I won't bore everybody, but I'm a, I'm a type seven. Again, there's nine of them. Um, if you take the test, you'll find out what you are. So I'm a seven. Uh, so let's read what, what I am. So generally sevens are excitable, spontaneous, curious, optimistic, eager, outgoing, future-oriented, adventurous, variety-seeking, quick, and talkative. Well, if anybody's listened to this podcast or knows me, knows me publicly, you would say that all those right. Uh, sevens get into conflicts by being scattered, distracted, restless, impatient, thrill-seeking, escapist, overextended, irresponsible, demanding, and excessive. All of those things are incredibly true. Um, so at my best, sevens, which is I, which is what me, I am, a type seven, is appreciative, bountiful, thoughtful, accomplished, versatile, receptive, grateful, content, quiet, and passionate. Yeah, that's me. That is, I think, me in a nutshell. Let's go to my second personality, which is you know awesome that I have two of these. Um, let me scroll down here. Sorry, I'm scrolling. Just doing a little bit of scrolling that I'm reading from right now here. Hold on a second. Oh, real quick. Um, they give you examples of famous people who are type sevens. Let me go through a couple of those. I think those are kind of interesting. Uh, so uh, the Dalai Lama, Mozart, Thomas Jefferson, Amelia Earhart, Joe Biden, um, John F. Kennedy, Mick Jagger, Chuck Berry, uh, Robin Williams, Jim Carrey, Mike Myers, uh, Cameron Diaz, Leonardo DiCaprio, Simon Cowell. So that, I'm in Steven Spielberg. I'm in some pretty good, uh, John Belushi. I'm in some pretty good company with that type seven. I'm not going to lie. I like all that. I like all of that. All right. Let's go into my second personality, uh, which is described as the helper. Let's read what those are. So generally, and this would be a type two. So I'm seven and two. Those are tied. Uh, my twos are caring, empathetic, warm, thoughtful, appreciative, generous, other-oriented, tactile, affectionate, well-intentioned, uh, well and demonstrative. So a lot of those, I think you could check off that box too. So twos, uh, we're, let's talk about conflicts with twos. Um, that would be from people-pleasing, flattering, uh, interrogating, clingy, worried, possessive, insincere, seductive, very seductive, uh, self-important, and self-deceptive. So at best, twos are encouraging, loving, self-nurturing, constant, joyous, humble, forgiving, gracious, and compassionate. So I definitely have a mixture of all that in my, in my pot of soup. Let's do one more here. Let's get into the third one, right? Oh, well, actually, well, real quick, let's read about who are people who are like the twos, right? Um, Eleanor Roosevelt, Nancy Reagan, uh, Richard Simmons, Dolly Parton, Paula Abdul, 
uh, Arsenio Hall, John Denver, a lot of art, a lot of artists in this one here. Um, I don't, in my mind, I don't relate a lot to, to, to this group of people in my mind. I definitely have a lot more with the first one and you can probably hear that in the excitement of my voice, but let's look at the third one. All right. So this is, this is personality type eight. This would be described as the challenger. All right. So generally eights are strong, assertive, resourceful, independent, determined, actually oriented, pragmatic, competitive, straight talking, shrewd, and in insistent. I think that my clients would think of me in this one. Uh, my conflicts come from being blunt, willful, domineering, forceful, defiant, confrontational, bad-tempered, rageful, cynical, and vengeful. Got a little bit of that in me, too. And at the best, I am honorable, heroic, empowering, generous, gentle, construct constructive, initiating, decisive, and inspiring. So let's look at who are some of the eights. Let's look at that. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Got to scroll back down. So here I got some Martin Luther King Jr., Franklin D. Roosevelt, Winston Churchill, Keith Richards, um, uh, Jack Nicholson, Alec Baldwin, Roseanne Barr, Harvey Keitel, Tommy Lee Jones, Clint Eastwood. So, yeah, that's that's what I got going on. So as Aaron and I are kind of exploring all this Sunday and Monday, and now I'm recording this on Tuesday, and obviously that exploration is not done. I want to make sure I'm clear about that. I'm not coming at this uh, this conversation as an expert in, in what I'm dissecting from this. But, you know, Aaron had a, uh, had a really interesting point around that there's that, that these three different types of personality that I'm, 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 I really have. And I, I agree, I have all three of these. I can be very honest about that. Is, and, and I think the type seven, the enthusiastic is what, the general public sees around me. Um, we have a lot of parties, uh, the dad's beer nights. That's probably what most people publicly think and, and can see. And I think they get a touch of type two, which is the helper, but my wife mostly gets the helper side of that. Um, and then business wise, I think most people probably get my type eight, the challenger. Um, so as I was kind of explaining this to Aaron, this exhaustiveness that I feel a lot of time for this, this uh in there like this i just i have a level of stress all the time no matter what um and i think it is from balancing these three different personalities every day every hour depending on where i am in a situation and bouncing back and forth of who am i right now um so i bring this up and this is a longer intro so everybody the interview's coming up everybody kind of keep Keep, keep with me here. I know I'm being a little selfish with my time, but trust me, the interview that's coming up with Joshua here in a minute is awesome. So if you want to just keep fire, keep going forward, keep going forward, you can forward through all this stuff. But I bring up a lot of this stuff because um, when I was down uh, Easter, you know, remember when I was uh, breaking the law, um, I spent a good hour um, in my, my, my dad's garage down there. Um, it's the first time I've actually had a moment by myself um, the kids, everybody was taking naps. It's like, you know, five o'clock on Easter and I'm just down there and I just kind of went through a lot of stuff. I just went through looking at tools, opening cabinets, you know, found his mowing shoes, just, you know, things, just, just absorbing and just kind of being in that space. And while I was in there, I just had a, a wave of emotion around, um, uh, that maybe I'm never being my authentic self and my authentic self is truly 
somebody who kind of comes from the sticks, redneck vibe coming from, you know, a farmland. I mean, there's literally a cornfield across the street from my parents' house. Um, and I, and I, and, but I kept looking at the life that was given to myself and my, my sister in terms of plenty of space, yards, uh, parents' attention, dad throwing the ball with me all the time, you know, just all, you know, helping me with whatever adventure I was on. And I'm wondering if I'm allowed to, if I'm able to actually provide that by choosing to live, um, you know, with the water right up to my nose, right? Like, you know, barely surviving, trying to have my own business, trying to have all these sort of uh, things that are just, you know, for me to be this in type seven, type two, type eight, right? To be this, this sort of energy that I put out in the world. So I just kept sitting there thinking, what if my dad, you know, was, was actually wise to this stuff? And just stood back and said, you know what, here's, a, here's what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to be in my kid's life. I'm going to have a nice house. It's not too big, not too small. You know, I'm going to have a couple friends. I'm going to play pool with them. I'm going to go to some high school games, basketball, football, eat some food, and that's about it. And I know on the surface right now that that has never seemed enough for me. But what's, what am I trying to get at? I'm trying to get at to, to, to what? To be the type seven, to be the type two, to be the type eight that I've just talked about. And maybe that's not what I should be doing. Maybe I should be focusing on shrinking and slowing. And I truly brought up to, to my wife, Erin, um, last night around, you know, my mom's living in a big house by herself. And she doesn't want to do that. She lives in a house that was designed for a family of four with space. And I said, you know, why don't we move to Ida? Move, slow down, get out of this every waking minute, having to be busy 24 seven, having to live beyond our means all the time. Um, you know, if the area I live in trying to buy a house that's teeny tiny for 250, $270,000, literally top of the market where I could go an hour South and get, uh, you know, a gigantic house for $200,000, you know, um, and have space for the kids. And you know what? kind of have the kids go to a school that truthfully is pretty slow. And I think about the reason I have these experiences of football and basketball, you know, and what it's taught me is because I wasn't playing against the highest caliber of, of athlete in the world. I was playing at my level. I was, I, you know, I, I keep using the analogy in my mind about I was boxing my weight, right? I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't boxing in the heavyweight. Uh, this wasn't Mike Tyson's punch out where I'm going against uh, Mike Tyson, right? Um, and I just really kind of stood back and I go, well, what, 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 what am I doing? And, and this, this, this test I took to, to tell me this sort of stuff has sort of pushed and that envelope even further around, you know, am I actually truly being myself and is, isn't myself very similar to what my dad is and, and my mom is very simple. Um, and, and really, you know, family oriented, and living, you know, I just living in the woods, not much around. I don't know. So with all these times, all this quarantine, it's brought out definitely a lot of emotions. And I'm sure other people out there are feeling 
maybe not exactly like I am, but answer, maybe asking a lot of questions. So, all right, everybody. I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for going on this journey. It's, um, it's been about 72 hours of this rolling around in my brain and I, I needed to go somewhere. And I, I these intros on, on the podcast, is this is what it allows me to do it. So everybody who is still here with me, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But with that said, um, if you are a fan, make sure you go over to woodshed.agency. Um, you know, subscribe to the podcast, the blog, We've got tons of content. If you're thinking about running a campaign, pick a time to talk to me. That's super crucial. Um, you know, and, and I, I bring that up as crucial, not trying to sell you anything. Just, I think that it's good to get advice from an, an expert. I've done a lot of these campaigns. I've seen a lot, so I can kind of guide you through what's happening, data points, all that sort of stuff. So um, go over to woodshed.agency right now, go to iTunes, wherever you get your podcast, make sure you hit the subscribe button, leave us a review. Um, but all right. All right. All right. That's enough for me. Let's talk about tools for crowdfunding. That's why we're here, right? That's why you tuned in. That's why you're one of our listeners. Thank you so much for listening. Um, let's talk, let's talk to Joshua from kickoff labs about how you can do a solid pre-launch before you hit that, uh, hit that go button on your campaign. All right. Here's my interview. Josh, the red light's on. That means it's go time. So why don't we do a do a quick sound check before we jump into it? Uh, why don't you tell my listeners what you had for breakfast this morning? Uh, some granola and some bacon. Okay. All right. So on the healthy side, then maybe not on the healthy side there, sounds like. I believe in balance and uh, moderation. All right. All right. All right. Yeah, that's good. Any, any fancy granola or just some, just some granola? Just... just some granola and some raisins mixed in. That's all. All right. All right. Big breakfast uh, eater over there? I, you know, on the days I have my kids, I, I like to make them breakfast and so I, I'll make them uh, a breakfast and then I join in. Otherwise, uh, the days I don't, I feel like I just want to take the time off and I'm just like, I grab a, a, a power bar or something and just move on with my day. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, I'm trying to get better at it. Uh, today, I, I did a good job. I had like this little quinoa thing and uh, made an egg. You know, that's what I read I was supposed to do. I don't know. We're, we're all just figuring it out right now, right? We're just figuring it out. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I think we're sounding good. Why don't we jump right into kind of why we're talking today. So uh, why don't you tell my listeners kind of, you know, what your product is and how it, um, and what it does. Yeah. So uh, hi guys. Uh, I am uh, one of the founders of Kickoff Labs and Kickoff Labs helps people set up viral contests in minutes. So at, at its most basic form, Kickoff Labs is about lead generation. So where do you want to collect a set of email addresses, phone numbers, um, for you know potential customers um that's what we do our twist on it is that we're trying to make that more engaging to boost your conversion rate so you know anybody can set up a, like a landing page a mailchimp form anything and start collecting an email addresses um that's kind of you know a, you know zero cost solution and what we're looking to do is say how could we make that more effective for people? So we add the viral component to it. And I know I've gotten a lot of flack recently about the word viral being um, <laughs> not exactly what people want to hear these days. Um, so I've tried to say uh, engaging promotions, engaging contests, um, you know, but what we enable to do is once you, somebody has signed up on your list, you can give them an incentive to share with other people. Um, and what we find is, you know, it's easy to offer like an opt-in bribe saying, you know, join, sign here and get a download or sign here and get 10% off and you can start collecting email lists. 
but it's more effective if you convince those people who already thought it was worth signing up to tell their friends about it. Um, and so we make the sharing part really easy. And then we have all sorts of contest schemes on top of that, where let's say you share with three friends, then you might get a bigger discount or a bigger reward um, for what you're doing. And in the context of uh, crowdfunding and product launches, um, that's a, those are two, two of our big customer verticals. Um, and I'll just start with like the, the crowdfunding aspect. What a lot of people running crowdfunding campaigns do is they know that they need to hit the ground running when they launch Indiegogo or Kickstarter, meaning that they don't wanna launch their Indiegogo campaign or their Kickstarter campaign and be building their audience at the day that they launch it. They wanna launch it and instantly get into the trending charts um, on, what they're, on, on one of those sites. And you wanna launch it to an audience. And so they'll use our service um, initially to say, let's build that initial audience. And so they'll set up a campaign that says, uh, hey, you know, we're going to launch this Kickstarter campaign for this product. They maybe have a draft of their video. They have a draft, like some screenshots or some product shots, um, some text. Um, and then they're signing people up to the campaign at that point. And then they'll say, if you sign up now, you'll get exclusive access to the early bird discounts. And then if people keep sharing, they'll give them say, you know, we've had some people that say, you know, depending, it depends on the product, what the level of giveaway is. But some people say like, okay, if you get 10 friends to sign up, we're just gonna give you the product. Maybe that's a lower cost product or something. If it's a higher cost product and you get 10 friends sign up, hey, we're just gonna give it to you at half off or something like a major discount for the product to really incentivize that sharing and drive uh, the list creation ahead of uh, the Kickstarter campaign. And that's sort of the first phase um, and the most common thing that people do uh, who are looking to launch uh, crowdfunding campaigns with Kickoff Labs um, at the start of it. Um, and we've got a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of success stories. You can go to our website and check out customer so showcases. And there's a lot of uh, Kickstarter campaign examples there of people that have done um, including one of the largest uh, self, uh, they didn't use Indiegogo or, um, uh, or Kickstarter, they just ran their own purchase pre-launch uh, system uh, for uh, the, a 3D laser printer. And so there's a story there, they, they launched and they raised $25 million uh, and they backed the referral scheme using, using Kickoff Labs to really track that referral. And they were giving half off this laser printer if you got three to five friends um, signed up, uh, signed up in advance. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. So when should, um, like how long should people be maybe using your type of product if, if they're in the crowdfunding space? Is this something that they're doing it for two weeks, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days? Like, like what's a typical time frame if they were asking you? Um, you know, I mean, you can say I'm biased and I should say, and I say as long as possible. <laughs> uh, but, but no, I mean, it depends on what you want to get out of it and what your goals are is the is the real is the realistic answer um i think the minimum time what i've seen just looking at the patterns of pe lots of people running the campaigns is at least a month ahead of time before you do that first launch um and then into the launch once you have it still running and collecting because people will shift the promotion to saying just a bigger discount afterwards just to keep it going so you don't shut down that that email collection altogether uh, because most people found the email collection really effective the reason that I say at least a month is because what we notice is even with a really well-run campaign, um, people get a landing page up, they have the promotion up, they have the pitch up, 
it takes about two weeks for their traffic generation efforts to really get optimized and start driving traffic. Um, and then once you start driving traffic, if you imagine I drive, you know, 10,000 people to a site in the first week, right? Let's say I managed to do that. They, I get a percentage of them to sign up. Let's say 20% of them sign up. So I've got, you know, two, you know, 2000 people um, signed up in that first week. They start sharing with their friends that second wave, that bump comes about a week later because it takes like a week for that, um, for that sharing to start really reflecting in the numbers. And so, uh, and so for the most effective, you know, I tell people like, imagine you spend a week building traffic, you have a week at this really good traffic level, so that's week two. You have week three, you're starting to see the bump from sharing, and at week four, you've got this plateau where you're collecting leads at this with this campaign that you've got going. And then from that point, imagine it's up to you to imagine how many emails you want to collect at that rate and how much you want to keep optimizing before your launch, right? Um, and and that's kind of a good optimistic case. I think a lot of people it really takes them two to three weeks to really drive up that initial driving of traffic. It all depends on what their traffic driving strategy is uh, to the camp. And and I think I, ideally too like the ultimate goal is if you ran this, let's just say you ran it for three months is that it would really start to just feed itself, right? Like, you know, more people sharing it, you know, you might get a lead today, that person's sharing it, but that's that sort of growth is continuing to sort of grow and grow and grow and multiply. Right. Yeah. And, and, and we see that in successful campaigns. I'm, I'm always careful to say like that, that is ideal, but a tool like ours is really, I always position it is, is, is more about like making what you're doing more efficient. So my goal, I always tell people is if they're going to spend a thousand dollars in lead generation, I want our tool to make it feel like you spent a thousand five hundred dollars. There's great stories where it makes it feel like three thousand dollars and then you feel really happy. Um, but it, at, a, at a minimum, you should you should expect if you're using this additional amplification methods that you're getting like a boost. And so that's why we call it a viral boost in the product saying you're getting a boost forever, wherever your lead generation effort is. And so to go all the way back to your first question about the length of time, at the average time for people doing the, the crowdfunding is about six to eight weeks. It seems like where people run that average, uh, the average time of people running the campaign. Um, we've, do, we've seen successful longer ones. We've seen successful shorter ones. And like I said, it all depends on what their goals are specifically. And and how long would it take? Again, let's just say I'm at, at you know I got my prototype and I, I I'm gonna do a campaign you know I think this fall. How long is it taking me to you know sign up for your tool, kind of create the assets that are needed? Like what would I be expecting you know time wise to and what do I need to create? Is it I got to have great photos, great videos, copy? What do I need to to really utilize your tool? I, the most important part at the pre-launch stage is really the pitch and the copy. Um, the, the photos are great, like next step, like a good, like explain, explainer photos. Um, the video is not, it's not, I don't see it in all the time. Some people will put up like a draft of their Indiegogo video or their Kickstarter video towards the end of the campaign. Um, but it's not really necessary to keep going, but what is necessary is really testing, um, the, having a good headline and a pitch. And we actually, um, one of the things, uh, and we've talked about with a lot of these uh, people building products and crowdfunding in our podcast about is there's a ton of value in those early days, figuring out the copy um, that works. And a lot of people have completely repositioned their copy because they'll set off, set up a kickoff labs campaign. And initially that setup maybe takes them a couple of days just to like, they they'll use one of our templates. 
they'll apply their copy and a couple images within one of the templates and they'll start driving some traffic with some ads or some influencers at the campaign and maybe they don't see the conversion rate they'd like to see and they'll say oh you know it's only converting at 10 percent that seems low and my answer is like yeah that is kind of low like maybe you want to you know try testing a different ad and they'll run an a b test on kickoff labs and say oh this headline works way better than uh than the other headline um and there's uh there's one story uh there's one story um from um, a company called that was launching a product called last swab which is like reusable cotton swabs um sounds kind of gross uh and they they talk about that in, in the campaign um and they knew they had a pitch to talk about like the environment but they just viewed that as one of their like you know as one of their potential like you know ben product benefits right and as they kept doing A-B testing and A-B testing and seeing like what was causing people to sign up and what worked really best, by the end of it, and you can see like a picture on our site, like by the end of it, their campaign pitch was like, they had this like poor fish in, the, in a picture choking on a cotton swab. Um, and it sounds really extreme, but like that's where their, their message like got driven to like, oh, we really need to push on the environmental aspect of this because the people that are gonna buy it are the people that really care about the environment and that's our product, that's our niche right now, is those people. And they weren't gonna lean in so heavily on it at first. In the end, they got $700,000 in funding, um, launched the product, launched a line for beauty like usage and like all sorts of usage for it, and were able to then expand on that niche beyond that initial, um, that initial pitch. But they learned so much doing that before they put it up on Kickstarter um, that their Kickstarter campaign was probably way more successful because they, went through their learning stage before they put up the Kickstarter. Right, right. That's always a huge thing I tell all my project creators to, to be open-minded, to listen, to use this time to, to really kind of go through everything. Your Facebook ads, your audiences, your your copy, you know, photos that are working, A-B test, all this stuff. Because, you know, you want to do it now, not, we launched. Let's yeah. figure it all out. Yeah. <laughs> we, um, we launched. Why is nobody buying this? Yeah, what's going on here? What, what, they, they, I put it on the internet. Yeah. So, uh, that, yeah, that's great. a really common mistake. I, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up. Like we, people ask all the time when we'll have like a one-on-one -on -one call with our support team, cause we'll do that for anybody that upgrades and we'll set up a one-on-one -on -one call with them. And one of the most common things is like, they're like, Oh, I set up my landing page. So when do I expect like, you know, everybody to sign up? Like, yeah, you put a thing on the internet. So did a million other people <laughs> like, it's going to have to be some level of seed promotion into whatever you put on and some level of adjustment and learning that goes on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. What, what, like, what could people expect sort of like pricing wise for something like this? Cause again, you're offering a ton of tools, uh, in this, like what, what's like pricing look like for, uh, for, a uh, for a startup? Yeah. So our pricing is, is monthly. Uh, and so, uh, if you were just selecting the monthly plan, um, we have a lot of people to kind of work their way up the, the product line. So, it's our pricing is mostly based on the volume or the size of the campaign. And so at like a cheapest level, you're talking about 2000 unique people a month coming to your campaign. And that's, you know, $29 a month. Um, the most popular is the $75 a month that fits within 10,000 people a month coming into the campaign. Um, and then we go, you go up from there 75 to, to 149 to 299. Um, the 299 uh, and and 149 are most typically uh, folks who are agencies running for multiple campaigns or established companies that have a huge audience. So they already know that they're going to be, you know, driving a hundred thousand people on day one to us to a new campaign. And so they'll use us for a contest for an existing site or campaign. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. And how does it all work for like domains and stuff? Is it all off of like your guys' domain or do you have the opportunity to set up like a custom one? How does that work? Um, you can use our domains, uh, but it's, uh, I'd actually recommend most people, if you, own a, they'll own a domain for their product, they set up something like launch.myproduct.com or contest.myproduct.com and point it to our service. So we're just a host in that case um, for their campaign. And then that way they own the URL and the, and the redirection long beyond when their kickoff lab subscription might be over. Um, and they, they can control that because people are sharing that on the internet and you want those links to keep working sort of forever because the link, every link that points back to your site is going to point back to somewhere <laughs> eventually. Uh, and you want to keep it there because there's always going to be a customer coming from that uh, direction. So uh, I typically suggest people use a custom domain. Um, and that's what most of our, our customers do. They, they will set up a custom domain. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and, and do you guys also do stuff in like the SMS? I saw that that's like an optional feature. Is that something that's a little bit newer or is that something that you guys have always done? Uh, that's a little newer. We've been doing this since 2011. Uh, so the SMS stuff uh, we launched last year. Um, we had a lot of people that were collecting phone numbers um, and they wanted to know if they could collect a phone number without an email address. We were keying everything on the email address before and now we can key everything in the contest on a phone number or an email address. Um, and that works. Um, it's so far been used mostly by people doing like mobile app launches uh, because it's a really good technique to get the phone number and do a push notification to the phone number when the app launch is ready because then they're on the phone, they're there. And then the sharing works the same way. Like we'll text back a sharing link and say, hey, tell your friends about this app. Um, the friends go and install the app using that sharing link um, and the person gets credit for sending pe other people to install the app. So. The phone number has been so far primarily used by people that are doing uh, that are doing app development. Although we're starting to see it expand into like other um, segments of customers um, that that want to collect phone number and start having like a text relationship with people. Gotcha, gotcha. And do you guys do you guys uh, just as a as a as your own business see that kind of growing more than email, or do you guys still feel like or chatbots or any of this other stuff, or do you guys still see like email is literally like still king when it when all the dust settles uh so i still think email is is king when all the dust settles just because like i mean like i said we've been doing this since 2011 and i remember in like 2012 all these articles like facebook has killed email and you know that facebook's the only way to reach your audience and then you know a couple of years later people realize like oh facebook wants to charge me to reach my audience and they're locking my audience in a box and now i have no connection with my own audience and like yeah that's always going to be the case and um, something like email is is uh, is not in that same category. I mean, yeah, there's folders and people things get moved into like spam and things get like put into a promotions tab in Google. Um, but people still look at those things and people still, um, if they're interested in your product or brand, it's still a direct connection to your audience. Um, the text read rates um, and open rates, if you were you know doing that, are generally higher than an email. Uh, the challenge with text is because it is a closer and more personal connection, a lot of people just choose to unsubscribe um, from, from text notifications. And so it's really easy to get kicked off of somebody's list as a potential customer. And so I always suggest, like, even if you're collecting text, to also collect the email. And that's why one of our first automated texts that goes out, when somebody signs up via text uh, to one of our campaigns, we say, hey, can you confirm by sending back your email address, your subscription? And then the person, then the person running the campaign has both the text and the email address. So that the person's, the person never says stop to the text. At least you've still got the email address. They might not have unsubscribed there. 
Um, and, you know, for me, at least as a customer and selfishly looking at it that way, like I do the same thing. Like there's some companies that I'm okay having a relationship with texts that are important to me and sending me notices. Um, and, but there's a lot where I'm just happy to have it delayed off in my email. Right, right, right. Right. So, you know, you, we've, met, we've talked a lot about product launch and crowdfunding to this point, but what are some of the other uses that you, maybe that are, aren't so common that you still see success with your tool? Like what, what are things that people wouldn't maybe think of, uh, of using your tool for? Um, newsletter and blog growth is a common one. So if you've heard of like a, a newsletter like called The Skim, um, uh, they started uh, using our service and they've uh, referred a lot of other people that are just growing sort of like new, news newsletters and blog subscribers. Um, to our list and they just run a constant promotion just saying like you refer three people we'll give you this thing um, or we'll give you this exclusive access to exclusive content and so just people looking to grow their email lists in general where their email list is a primary a primary marketing tool um, and then the other is we have a, a pretty large vertical of people running uh, e-commerce stores so their own stores and this is pe where people might be using it after a kickstarter launch they've got their own store they want to grow their newsletter list um, and there's two primary uses there. One is um, we have customers who like once a quarter, they want to run a big contest with their email list just to juice and get new subscribers on their email list. So like, you know, company that was, uh, that sells jeans every quarter, they're like, we're giving away 10 pairs of jeans to the people who get the most points in the contest by following, by sharing, by promoting um, our brand. And so if you earn the most points, you get additional entries in the contest, you increase your chance of winning, um, the pairs of jeans. And so they'll just run those contests sort of like as an evergreen contest on a regular basis. We also recently launched um, for e-commerce because we're seeing so many people with uh, online stores and especially now where um, every local business is looking to have an online store. Um, I think it's going to be growing, but uh, we have uh, integration with Shopify uh, so that um, you can run a contest and in that contest, not just give people points for um, referring a friend to an email list, you can earn additional entries in the contest by making a purchase. So every dollar you spend is an entry into that, that month's contest. And then every dollar your friends spend adds to your total entries. So if you do refer somebody and then they buy something on Shopify, you get additional entries into the contest. Um, and so running these contests and promotions on an e-commerce site is really the next, uh, is the next biggest thing um, to like product launches and, um, and Kickstarter campaigns uh, that we do. That's very cool. Very cool. And you mentioned just a minute ago too, maybe we can talk a little bit about this. It, what, what was, what's the one-on-one, -on -one, the consultation that you kind of, I think you kind of just mentioned it quickly, but what, what does that look like for somebody? Yeah. So one of the advantages of our system uh, advantage is uh, there's a lot of options as we've been doing this for a long time. And there's people often like, you know, what, what kind of campaign is best for me? What, you know, I want to do something like a contest, but I don't know what contest is best. And we've got a lot of best practice guides and like getting started guides, but there's still, you know, everybody needs a little bit of guidance if they're setting this up for the first time. And there may be like, you know, there's only two or three people at the company and they need some help doing it. And so we offer for anybody who upgrades and gets a paid solution to the product, like we'll give you a half hour consultation. And that talk with our support team runs the gamut. I mean, there's some people who are just like, help me set up my domains. The only thing I can't figure out, I'm good from there. And then all the way to like, you know, help me choose what kind of contest will work. And let me tell you a bit about my business and you can like, give me suggestions. And we've done this enough. We can roughly pattern match and say like, oh, it looks like you've got a $50 price product. Here's a type of contest that seems to work really well. Here's a case study we can send you from our previous 
list of customers you can follow along with, and here's how the kind of the templates I'd recommend going with and starting with. Um, and so really just giving people that guidance that you know makes them feel more confident that they're following a, a successful path that other people have followed before. That's awesome. Now, so since 2011, huh? That's when the, that's when uh, Kickoff Lab started. What what was? How did you guys? How'd you get into it? What was the idea? You know, you know, 2011 is a lifetime ago in the internet land. So, like, where was the idea of all this? Um. Yeah. So, uh, my co-founder and I uh, were both working at a company that was uh, in in Dallas at the time, but we both worked remotely. Him in New Jersey and me here. And uh, I was uh, I was. I was kind of his boss. Like I ran the product team. He, he was one of the people that worked for me and the, at the company. And, and I had given my notice cause I knew I wanted to start a business and I was starting to privately tell people on the team um, that you know, in two months I'm gone. Uh, so just so you guys know. Um, and he, I talked to him he's like, Oh, you beat me by a month. Um, and uh, I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I'm, I want to start a business too. And, and so we started talking and realized it, we'd both done the same exact math, probably read the same articles on the internet about how much money it takes to start a new business. Um, we both saved within $1,000 of each other, like the amount of money that we thought we needed. And so we decided to team up and neither of us had any idea what we wanted to build. And so we just sat there and brainstormed and we came up with a document that had like 50 ideas all like written out to a paragraph form and all 50 it ranged from like a blog about beer to like, you know, um, you know, a texting service, like something like it was a really like wide range. Um, and then we narrowed it down to things that seemed like, you know, we had, you know, ex experience in or, you know, the possibility to, to build. Um, and we had like five things that we wrote out like a small business plan for. Um, and then reality, we, we kind of realized that like, you know, like once you started writing these business plans, you can make anything sound good um, as a business plan. If you're not looking to be, if you're not looking to become the next Facebook, you always you can look at anything and say like, well, this is a $1 billion market. I just need 1% of this $1 billion market and, and it's gold. Um, that doesn't sound too hard. Um, and you realize that like doing more work on the business plan wasn't going to help us. So we wanted to say like, could, which product could we build an audience around? Cause like, well, we need to prove that we can get people to buy something and like build an audience for. And so being engineers, we said, you know, we really just need to set up these landing pages to have people like and see if they're willing to, to, to sign up or tell their friends about it because they think it's a cool idea and use those two metrics to judge whether or not the product's a good idea. Being engineers, we said, let's build a product that does that. And then that was idea number six <laughs> to our five person list. So we built that out like a really rough system for ourselves set up the landing pages uh, for the ideas. And really we had a lot of positive feedback on that idea. And then another one, um, which um, eventually sort of, uh, the concept was like uh, what Hootsuite used to be, but for enterprises and large companies. And we, we were literally for about a year building both products. Um, we were building a, a, a CRM tool kind of for like for monitoring tweets and social feedback and assigning it to the right people at your company. Uh, we called it SIF Social, and we were building Kickoff Labs. Um, the sales cycle for that other tool was just, it probably could have been successful. It was just way longer to convince people to sign up. And the Kickoff Labs sales cycle was way shorter. And so we started to see a bunch of revenue. And um, I had a mentor who's like, you know, why are you working on two products when you've got one that's, you know, doubled revenue in, in three months, and you've got another that you're like struggling to get like more than three customers signed up for. 
Um, and so, you know, we just sort of focused in on, on kickoff labs from that point and just uh, haven't looked back really. And ended up being a good decision because Twitter killed like all the APIs we were using in the other one six months later. So if we'd really dove into that one being dependent on another platform, it might not have been the best, uh, the best outcome. But um, for, for kickoff labs, that's kind of how we got into it. So I would, I would imagine on your end, you guys aren't as dependent on, like we just mentioned the, the third party problems, right? Like being dependent on APIs and stuff. Are, you guys aren't that dependent on stuff like that uh, with this type of business model, correct? Yeah, I know. Correct. And we're, we're not, I mean, the closest one is that there's a lot of sharing that happens on Facebook. I mean, it just dominates um, the sharing space. Uh, but because you can share via text, via email, via all these other methods, we're not completely uh, dependent on it. But that is probably the closest one. But again, we don't use the Facebook APIs for much. Um, we do have an option that you can sign up via Facebook. Uh, but if that went away, our business doesn't go away. It's only a certain percentage of our customers that use that specific feature. Um, and I actually still think they'd use the product if they couldn't do that um, as well. So, so I think, you know, because most of my audience is people thinking about launching a, any, they're launching something, right? They're in the entrepreneur space, startup space, you know, what kind of advice do you give somebody? Because I, correct me if I'm wrong, when I, I've been kind of following kickoff labs for a while now, I'm, I'm a full agency. So I'm always looking at the tools out there. You guys didn't start with everything right away, right? You, you know, as you kind of mentioned too, we had a couple things working, right? And those things, and you just keep, you kept building and building and building. I, I don't remember even giveaways being a big part of your, right? In the beginning, right? Um, so you're right, right. So, so like, how do you, how do you sort of like mentor yourself or coach somebody else when they're working on something to go, you don't need to have all 10 ideas yet, you know, like focus on do these first two or three really well and, and allow you to grow. How do you sort of like advise people uh, around just being patient and letting these things naturally grow into, into what they become? I think, I mean, the biggest thing I see is like people are just scared to put a foot forward, like are dipping their toes in the water because they worry that the, if dipping their toes in means they're going to have to jump all the way in. Um, and that's not what it means um, at, by, by any stretch. Before we started Kickoff Flabs, I built an app on the side just to see like what the app store was like. I didn't build a full app. I just like kind of like, oh, like, let's just see what app store revenue looks like. And if I could sell an app for a dollar and like, um, realized that was uh, probably a bad idea for me when I started looking at the time and the time investment and the return I was getting. Um, but, um, and so the biggest thing to me, the quote that's been going through my head recently is, is not letting perfect be the enemy of good. Um, and so you probably have a good idea and in your head you have, everybody has this like awesome vision of where the idea ends up, but your vision is often stuck on like, you know, where you, might be able to be in year two or year three or four, not where you could be next month. And where you could be next month is often more beneficial to you and to potential customers if you're just solving a tiny chunk of the problem. And so, you know, like these people who are using Kickoff Labs successfully, um, we've had people use the use Kickoff Labs and say, well, I decided not to launch my product. And I will say, well, why? And they say, well, we just we ran the kickoff labs campaign. We did a B tested, we experimented and just, we couldn't get people to sign up. And they tell us like, you know, I view that as a victory. Like I tried, I realized that like, I was never going to get people to buy this. Um, and they come back again in two months with another thing and just, they're dipping their toe in to try and like test, you know, is this good? Um, and you know, ourselves, I have to tell the same thing, like all the time, like we didn't launch with the perfect product that did everything. I mean, literally, 
when we launched, it wasn't much more than what uh, Scott and I had built ourselves. Like there were a couple of text entry fields where you could enter like a headline and like a form and you couldn't even edit the form. It was just email address. Um, you know, once people signed up, it was a default thank you message. You couldn't change it. It was English only. Like there are, I can't even list like all the limitations that were, that were on it when, uh, when we launched, when we launched the product. Like I think we took what we built, we basically added a billing system to it and a way for other people to sign up um and just to see if they would i mean obviously the prices were different it was like ten dollars twenty dollars thirty dollars just to see like what would happen um and uh and and you know but but we found like that was a great test because like if people weren't willing to pay ten dollars we were never going to get them to pay a hundred like eventually and so we you know but what we had was probably a ten dollar product at the time so you know it, we just you know we've scaled up from from there and just kind of followed what works for customers and what the customers with revenue that are successful are telling us about the product. Yeah, that's great. That's great. You know, so one of the things, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about like the whole giveaway strategy. What's your take on it? Because I get, I can, I can argue both sides of it all the time. We do, we do, we run a ton of giveaways on our end here. Right. So like, we feel like it's a great way for a company to do it. Most of the time, if they're at ground zero, right. They have like, there's no, I'm building the Facebook page on Tuesday. I got to drive traffic on Wednesday. What am I doing? Right. Like, you know, and, um, so like, do you find that that is still a good audience to build? Um, if they just want to win something for free, cause that's, that's usually the feedback I get is like, oh, I don't want that audience. They just want it for free. How do you sort of navigate that conversation or, or how do you talk to people about the just free contest crowd type of thing? Yeah, and that exists. There is a, a large crowd of people like just for free. It's actually an option in our fraud prevention. Like if somebody is referred from like, there's lots of places on the internet or like sites and forums where people just talk about, hey, somebody's giving away this free thing. Like everybody go join up. We actually have a way to say like, you know, flag and exclude these people. <laughs> like, um, because like it is, it is a, it is a concern. And what I tell people is to think about their giveaway in the sense that like, um, you frame your, your giveaway in something that's uh, as something that's useful to your potential customers. So at least, you know, that the audience is something that, you know, they're going to want. So my example to that is, you know, if we, as a company like kickoff labs, we're going to give away like a free iPad. It makes no sense. It's just people who I'm only going to get people who sign up that want a free iPad. Right. But if I partner with like the, you know, a woman who does like our Facebook ads and she runs a video course, I say, we're going to give away two copies of her video course for running Facebook ads, like for free as part of this campaign. At least I know people who are signing up are people who are interested in running Facebook ads. They're potentially people who are running like, or then going to run marketing campaigns who are interested in our service. And so you won't get as many people signing up but that's a good thing. You'll get the people signing up who are like interested in the thing you're giving away. So I always tell people the thing you're giving away needs to be at least parallel to your business so that people are, the people that are signing up, you know, are potential customers for your business and never to try and give away something that like is just going to get the largest possible audience. I mean, there are exceptions to that rule. Like, if you're a travel company and you're like, you know, I'm going to give away, like, you don't really have a choice. You're like a travel company, like I'm going to give away like luggage or something like traveling. And then like, well, I mean, it's a broad consumer appeal. You're going to have to give away and you're going to have to take the fact that you'll get 10,000 signups and maybe only 2000 people are really the people you're after. Um, yeah. That's how I answer it basically right there. It's like, it's, it's, yeah, I'm not just giving away an iPad or an, an iPad that my mom wants and she's, you know, she just, 
is signing up on stuff during the day and has no idea that she's even on a contest site or something because she's just you know just doing nothing you know so uh that's uh, yeah that's great well you know over these last you know nine years or so what has been maybe the biggest hurdle that you as a company have had to face and overcome like what, what's been like one of the biggest challenges <laughs> uh that's a lot um you know, there's uh, there there's always uh, there's always competitors. If you have a good idea, there's always going to be somebody who like thinks it. And it's a challenge to not just compare yourselves to competitors and say like, oh well, they're doing this, so I have to do this as well. Especially when you start getting people like that'll email and say, well, they have this feature, like why don't you have this feature? And like, it's a pointless debate to get into because you actually don't have data on like what somebody else is doing and whether or not that feature is actually, you know, beneficial to their audience. You just know they built it. That's all, you know. And so it's hard though, to like compare, have to constantly be comparing and to try and not compare and only look at like what's beneficial for your audience and knowing that there's like room in a marketplace for a lot of different solutions. Um, that's a challenge for me. Um, like I mentioned earlier that the challenge of like always, you know, uh, I think recently the, the challenge is uh, that we're looking at is like, how do we take this product that we've built that does a ton of things and really simplify it to different verticals because the product having existed for 11 years. Um, so we're starting to sunset features and just say like, you know, people don't need this feature anymore. Like it was something that was valuable five years ago is not as valuable now in the current condition. And so a challenge for us is less unique for somebody new starting, but for us is like, how do we keep, changing and molding the product that fits the current time that we're in uh, versus saying we have to keep carrying forward all of these things that we've done. And so that's, that's kind of the biggest challenge that I've, we've been looking at in the last six months. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, how about the other side of that coin? What, what is, you know, what's like the big home run that, you know, like if you were, you know, given a big presentation that you start with, like kickoff labs allowed us to do this. Like what's, what's the big, the, the big milestone victory. <laughs> you mean like a, do you mean like a personal victory or something um, because of the business? Yeah, I guess personal or company. I mean, just like, like, you know, you know, we, we hit a, we hit this major metric we wanted to hit, you know, um, uh, we, we, we got this feature, you know, I, is there just something that you just stand back and go like, we're really, really proud of, of, of this thing uh, as a company or even as yourself, you know? Um, I really enjoy, I mean, just me personally, just getting the emails from like founders or marketing professionals saying like, hey, like I, I might not have even seen their campaign. Like, hey, you know, I just want to send like a note, like the tool is great. We signed up 10,000 people and like that was awesome. So just to me, getting those personal notes, seeing that we've helped other people and they saw like the value in what we did, um, that really motivates me um, personally. Um, and then the other thing is just like, you know, the business, you know, when it reached a level that, you know, we're able to like hire out for support and hire out for other roles um, and be able to like step back and just do the things that I want to do and like spend as much time uh, with like family and friends that I want to and not worry as much about like next month's payroll or finances. Um, that's a big milestone that like I'm really proud of because one of the reasons I built the company is because I was working for this company running a product team and it was like a 60 hour a week job. And like, I had two new kids and I was like, this is, I just hate it. Like I, like I'm way too grumpy. I just don't enjoy it. I'd rather work 40 hours a week. And how can I build a lifestyle where like I can work when I want to work and not when I don't want to work. And so having achieved that just to me is a huge personal uh, victory. That's awesome. That's awesome. Let's do a couple of quick questions here. Uh, what are you watching right now on the old TV? 
who who's not watching Tiger King? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> a new episode coming out Sunday night. Did you see that? I know, I've I've only seen the first two episodes. Uh so kind of I go through things slowly, uh more slowly, but uh that and the uh, Westworld. Uh the I'm only on season two, uh kind of working my the, way through the uh through third one just two. came out, right? Isn't it right? The yeah, the third? third season just came out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, what do you listen to uh, music wise? Uh, just all over. I mean, it, it, lately, um, going back, like listening to like uh, Black Keys, uh, you know, I, I'm grew up with, uh, I, grew, I grew up with Dave Matthews. And so uh, Dave Matthews, Black Keys, like your 1995 to 2010, like music <laughs> okay. in there. All right. um, then I had kids and I stopped listening to new music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then it's all kids pop, huh? That's what I got a lot of that old kids <laughs> yeah. pop stuff. Yeah. So it's, it's the, it's these versions of songs with a yeah. eight year old singing them or something. Yeah. So, yeah. which is just fantastic. <laughs> it <creeps me> out. <laughs> it's totally, yeah. and then they, and then they have songs that are like, really not appropriate but they change the words and then when you search on you know you just search on spotify you're like hey play uh and they don't get the kids pop and all of a sudden you're like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. that's the wrong one uh, when, my kids, wrong when my kids were younger the the thing that really creeped me out was all of a sudden i realized they were watching the old thomas the trade this is when they were younger episodes and like is that and george carlin used to be the the voice there and you just don't expect to hear george carlin's voice doing like a kid's show because you expect him to start swearing any second <laughs> right. And I'm like, yep, what am I yep. kids listening to? Oh, it's George Carlin. Yeah. It's just Thomas George Carlin is Thomas the Train. Uh, you know, that had to be a, just for a paycheck. That There's no way he really wanted to be doing that, right? There's just no way. Uh, like that or irony, like some sense of irony. He's like, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. This. Uh, I have not, I, I don't have a good list uh, to put there. Um, the, who's uh, lost? Uh, no, I don't have a, I don't have a good list uh, to put there. Yeah. How about how about um, maybe channels that you watch maybe online in terms of like to get marketing ideas or just to get ideas or like where are you consuming, you know, maybe industry tactics or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I listen to. Uh, I mean, I I listen to like the podcast space. Uh, so a bunch of different podcasts. You know, starts for the rest of us um, is a is a big one for like smaller companies. Um, the Guy Raz podcast, uh, how I built this, uh, just to get like inspiration, Andrew Warner, uh, and, and his podcast, uh, always listen to that stuff. Um, you know, I go to microconf, uh, pretty regularly, like every other year, um, just to stay in touch with like the community and like the startup community space, um, more in person. Um, so those, those are the channels primarily. Gotcha. Cool. Well, where can people kind of dive into your world? Where, where would, would you like us to send people and then what should they be doing? once they go to the website, like how do you kind of tell somebody to sort of dive in? <laughs> um, just sign up and start building a campaign. I mean, it's free to start building a campaign and just walk your way through it. Um, and if you want to reach out, I'm josh at kickofflabs.com is the best way to reach me. Um, always happy to, to, to answer emails and questions. Cool. Awesome. Well, Josh, I appreciate take, uh, appreciate you taking time out of your day here. Um, I, it's an it, awesome tool. Lots of features. A guy like me kind of drools over it because I start imagining all the um, millions of things I could do uh, for clients and stuff in it. So um, I appreciate everybody. Um, appreciate, like I said, appreciate taking time out of your day. And I encourage everybody, if you're getting ready to launch a campaign or just want to figure out how to even uh, add numbers to your blogs and stuff, go check it out, sign up, start building some stuff here. So Josh, appreciate it. Th thanks again so much. Yeah, thank you. Dark flesh, dark
All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Joshua, for taking time out of your day to talk about Kickoff Labs to my listeners. Great, great interview and amazing tools. Guys, if you're thinking about running a campaign, go check them out. Even if you're not running a campaign and you just want to do lead gen, powerful, powerful tools. So Joshua, thanks again for taking time. And everybody else, thanks for sticking through. Um, Remember, if you are thinking about running a campaign, go to woodshed.agency now. Click the consultation button in the top right corner. Pick a time. That's my calendar. And we can chat about what you're working on, what your goals should be, um, and what you're going to have to do to to hit them, right? Right? If you want to have that information. Also, if you go on the store section of our website, you can check out all kinds of different growth hacks that we have built. Um, pick them up right now. If you're looking for a discount code, shoot me an email. I can get, definitely get you something. Um, but figure out how we do a lot of stuff here uh, at Woodshed. Um, and remember, make sure you hit the subscribe button. If you got to this point, you are a power listener. You're going to love every single episode. Go go hit that subscribe button now. And um, all right, why don't we go listen to some Sugar People music? And I hope you guys are all doing well. Stay safe. And we'll talk to you all next week. Thank you.